Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Great and Grace Podcast. I'm Tanya. I'm your host of the Great and Grace Podcast. I am so glad you're here today. Today's episode, we are going to talk about, along the lines of, we're going to talk about mindset. Mindset, maybe, and motivation. All right, so, I mean, what does God tell us about what kind of mindset we have to have as Christians? For one, he does tell us to, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what does that mean? What else does the Bible say about our mind or our mindset? You know, it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We have the mind of Christ. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And then it also says in Philippians Whatever, now this one I can't ever get exactly right, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is lovely, whatever thing is of a, a good report, think on these things. I think it's important for us to, as Christians, to kind of every day when we get up, you know, of course, have a grateful heart because his mercies are new every morning great is his faithfulness and his abundant grace is sufficient for us that day. And uh, so, you know, have a grateful heart every day when you wake up, have a grateful heart. This will lead to a positive mindset. But we, you know, when you, when you, you have to kind of put on that mindset by, you know, being grateful and thinking on these things, those things that are true, lovely and of good report and on his word. Okay. So let's get into today's show. I have a guest, Mr. Terry Tucker, and um, he is with Motivational Check LLC. I'm going to go ahead and bring him on, and we're just going to start chatting it up, okay? Hi, Tanya. How are you? I am great. How are you today? I'm great. I'm looking forward to talking with you. Well, I'm so honored to have you on the show. Thanks so much for coming on. I kind of already let everyone know. So it's important, I believe, because there is an enemy out there that's constantly at our mind. And so when we when we're... Um, when we have things that most of the things that we face, I think obstacles that we face in this life have a lot to do with our mindset. And so, you know, how we react to things. And of course, that has to do with our mindset. So I'm glad to have you on, but I'm going to let you go ahead and just introduce yourself and let everybody know, you know, where you're from, what you're up to, what you do. And and then we'll get we'll get started. Go ahead, Terry. Sure. So, uh, again, thanks for having me on. I'm really looking forward to talking with you. I'll give you a little bit of, of, of background. I am—I uh, was born on the south side of Chicago. I'm the oldest of three boys. You cannot tell this from my voice or from looking at me, but I'm six foot eight inches tall, and I played college basketball at the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina. When I graduated from college, I was actually the first person in my family to graduate from college. I moved home to find a job. This was, I'm really going to date myself now, long before the internet was available to help people find employment. Fortunately, I found that first job in the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International, the hamburger chain, in their marketing department. Unfortunately, I lived with my parents for the next three and a half years as I helped my mother care for my father and my grandmother, who were both dying of different forms of cancer. Uh, Professionally, as I said, started out at Wendy's, then I moved to hospital administration, and then I made a major pivot in my life and became a police officer. And part of what I did in my law enforcement career was I was an undercover narcotics investigator. I was also a SWAT team hostage negotiator. After law enforcement, I started a school security consulting business, coached girls high school basketball. But for the last 11 and a half years, I've been battling a rare form of cancer, a rare form of melanoma. And then I guess just finally, my wife and I have been married for 30 years. We have one child, a daughter, who's in the military here in the United States. Wow. Well, that's awesome. Thank her for her service. And what, what an awesome background or what an interesting background too, for sure. (laughs) I I didn't know about the undercover narcotics officer part. (laughs) Yeah. That's always kind of funny. Whenever I tell somebody I'm six foot eight and then I tell them I was undercover, they they always laugh. You know, it's like, like, how did did you do that? (laughs) Like Shaq going undercover. <laughs> well, it, it is, but the way I explain it to people is what motivates that industry, and it is an industry, whether we like to admit it or not, is greed. And as long as you have money, you will find somebody to sell you drugs. And 
that's we were a street level drug unit. We would, you know, buy on the street corners and and things like that. And sometimes that would lead, you know, sort of up the food chain, so to speak. But it was it was a lot of fun, but it was also pretty dangerous what we did. Yeah, I was about to say, were you ever I mean, it, did you ever get in a spot where, you know, you might have got what do they call it when they made got made <laughs> um, and, you know, no, never really. I never got made. Got shot at a couple times. Um, wow. You know, trying to buy from somebody, and then we would do what was called buy bus. So we would buy from them, and then we would kind of all swoop in and, and arrest them. And I was with a. It wasn't a really controlled. We just happened to roll up, and this guy comes up to our our truck, and and it, I don't mean to laugh, but we literally had Cincinnati police t shirts on. And this guy comes up to the truck and he's like, what do you need? And and we looked at him like, are, are, are you crazy? You realize we're the police? And he kind of <laughs> looks around and he's like, yeah, what do you need? And I was like, okay, I'm sorry. You have to be arrested tonight because you are too stupid to live among us right now. So you're going to have to go to jail. And so we jumped out and grabbed him. But as we were doing that, one of his buddies took a shot at us and that. So, you know, wow. we never got made. I, I used to do a lot of sort of, surveillance, sitting on places, watching, you know, seeing what I could glean. And then somebody always pulled up, you know, ran in, came out. I'd find a traffic stop, to, a reason to stop him for traffic and and then kind of talk my way into the car and find the drugs and then try to turn them into an informant, and which, which I did, and then do a search warrant and try to stop it from that perspective. That's so crazy because from the other side, <laughs> when people are are high on on certain drugs they tend to like <laughs> go around saying you know that they every every uh suv white or black suv that they see is the police <laughs> but they're really usually a, they're soccer moms or something most of the time they're not the police but then um <laughs> you can find out later that sometimes they were actually the police <laughs> so they were it is and, and, <laughs> but think about and, think about that life I mean, think uh, about spending your entire life looking over your shoulder. You know, crazy. like you said, it, is that did that car that just go by? Was it the police or was it a soccer mom <laughs> or something like that? I mean, it's it's got to be a terrible way to live. Oh, it is. It is. It's terrible. It's terrible for sure. So, how long did you do that though before you moved into the the hostage negotiation thing? So actually, I, I was an undercover narcotics investigator, and then there was an opening on the SWAT team. SWAT in Cincinnati, Ohio, where I was, was not a full-time unit. We, and again, I'm going to date myself again, mm -hmm. we carried pagers. Okay. <laughs> so, so when the mm -hmm. pager went off, you, you know, you would you would get information and, and go to the scene. And that. so I started in the drug unit, and then uh, there was an opening on SWAT, and so I put in for that. And I got to do that at the same time I was doing the, the drug unit. That sounds exciting. I don't know. How long did you do that? Uh, SWAT, uh, four and a half years. You go in with the big the big uh, barricade thing and bust their door down and stuff? or? See, I was smart. I didn't do that. <laughs> I, I, so the way SWAT, for, for those of you in your audience who don't understand, SWAT's usually divided up into two groups. One are the, the tactical officers, okay. the men and women, and they have like what you, they have all the toys. They have the, you know, the battery rams and the guns and all that stuff. And then there are the negotiators. And okay, that makes sense, yeah. So, you know, I was like, hey, I'm not standing out in the cold and the I'm gonna be in a, you know, a place where I'm warm and I have food and a bathroom and all that kind of stuff. And so I, I kind of joke that when, if we used to tease the tactical team that if we did our job right, you didn't get to use all your toys and all that kind of stuff. So right, but it, right. we worked very, very well together. We trained together and everything like that. And they were, they were our brothers and sisters. So we didn't want to do anything that would cause them to be in harm's way any more than they had to be. Sure. Sure. You had to, uh, you had to like, I guess, I'm sure they trained you, you know, I'm, I'm sure they trained you, but you had to have some sort of gift and special skill already within you to be able to, uh, negotiate with these people. I mean, that, that to me though, even though, like you say, you're not right there busting down the door, that had to be high pressure. I mean, cause it's all on you to talk to this guy. Usually it's a guy or whatever to talk usually. to this person. 
and try to, cause that's the goal. You don't want, you don't want them to end up shooting themselves usually or hurting someone else or, you know, when they take a hostage, hurting someone else. And so it's up to you to try to reason with someone who could be, who could be, I mean, erratic from mental disorder or drugs or both, or just, you know, who knows? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that was always the goal to get them out safely. And if you think about it, we were trying to develop a relationship with this person who we had no idea who they were. Many times we had no idea why were we were even there. Why did this happen? Why did they barricade themselves with a gun or take a hostage? We had absolutely no idea. And if you think about relationships, you know, whether it's husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, parent, child, boss, subordinate, the, the overarching theme in that is trust. If, if I, I don't trust right. you, yeah. yeah, if I don't trust you, if you and I are married and I don't trust you, that's not going to be a good marriage. If, if you're my boss and I don't trust you, that's not going to be a good working relationship. So we had to do things to try to get people who we had never met before in our lives to trust us. And one of the things we used what was called was called tactical empathy. And it was, okay, Tanya, explain to me what happened. What, what, what got us to this point? How, how are we going to resolve this? And, and so now it's, it's you telling me what's going. And by doing that, you're like, oh, okay, this, this person wants to understand where I'm coming from. Again, we may be negotiating with a guy who just murdered three people. So I want to understand it. I'm not going to agree with it. I'm not going to agree with that you, what you did was right, but I want to understand it. So that develops um, this tactical empathy. And empathy develops trust in any kind of a relationship. And then the other thing was uh, we used to use how and what questions. And we stayed away from why questions. Because if, for example, I said, Hey, Tanya, why'd you do that? You would, oh, wait a minute. Is he accusing me? You know, they sound accusatory. Whereas how and what questions, and, and this is going to sound like we were manipulating people and to a point we were, but how and what questions engage you to help me get you out safely? You might say something and I would say, well, how am I supposed to do that, Tanya? Well, now I've just thrown it back in your court. Now, now you're thinking how I can do this. How can we how can we get you out safely and things like that? So, so that was a big part. And I guess I'll just I'll end it with this is that we got this formula when we first started being negotiators. And it had to do with how we communicate with each other. And the formula was 73855. 7% of the way we communicate with each other are the words that we use. 38% of it is the tone of voice that we use with those words. And then 55% of how we communicate is our body language and our facial expressions. The problem we had as negotiators is I wasn't with you. So I, you know, if I said something to you, I couldn't see you kind of roll your eyes and be like, oh, what an idiot. I can't believe he said that to me. And so we had to figure things out, certainly based on what people were saying, but also what they weren't saying and how they were saying it. That's crazy. That's exciting. I mean, <laughs> what a what a what a wild ride. What a story. I mean, I appreciate you sharing that with me. I mean, that was just a little bit of a person that was for my own personal pleasure. It really didn't have any might not have anything to do with our topic. <laughs> uh, but okay, so so tell me, Terry, how how did how do you get now to to what you're doing today? What what is motiva motivational check? What do you do? What is that all about? Motivational check is really a company I started to do motivational speaking, and I and I made the brilliant business decision. And, and as soon as I tell you a story, people are like do not take business advice from me whatsoever. Uh, what what I did was I started this motivational speaking business just as COVID hit. And like so many other companies and organizations, I had to figure out how to deliver my service, to deliver my product differently, because nobody was having in-person meetings. Nobody was even having virtual meetings. And somebody had reached out to me, and this is honestly the way it happened. Somebody reached out to me and said, would you like to be a guest on my podcast? And I was like, sure. What's a podcast? I, I I had no idea. I absolutely said, well, we kind of kind of have a discussion, a conversation, we record it, and then we put it on social media. And I said, sure, I, I'll do that. 
Tanya, when I started, I was scared to death. I literally had posted notes all around the camera. The person would ask me a question, I'd lean in and I'd read the post notes. <laughs> I was horrible. I was terrible. But think about the first time we do anything in life. The first time you learn to drive a car, were you, were you any good at it? You know, the first time I played basketball, was I any good at it? No, no, we weren't. So that and I think that's what stops so many people from doing things in their life, that fear of, well, I'm not going to be any good at it. Well, guess what? We're all terrible at it when we start, whatever that first thing is. And I, I actually wrote a book in 2020, and there's a chapter in it that I talk about how people think with their fears and their insecurities instead of using their minds. And I know I've done that. I know I've done that in my life. Oh, I want to do this. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe I'm not smart enough. Maybe I don't have enough information. What will people say about me if I fail? That's thinking with our fears and our insecurities. That's not thinking with the God-given mind, the strength that God gave us to say, go ahead and do it. And I always tell young people, especially when I talk to them, if there's something in your heart, something in your soul that you believe you're supposed to do, but it scares you, go ahead and do it. Because at the end of your life, the things you're going to regret are not going to be the things you did. They're going to be those things you didn't do. And by then it's going to be too late to go back and do them. I totally agree. I've, I've, I know that fear, but um, I've always, I, I've pretty, I've been pretty good about being able to, unless it's a dentist, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Fear of doing things, um, you know, when I have a dream or a goal, I'm pretty good at just letting it fuel me and trying. But my problem is if I do flop, I tend to put that in the account in my mind and I'll go back, I'll go back that, to that later. But, um, and so I was going to, this kind of leads me into something I was thinking about as far as, as far as mindset goes. And, and well, let, let me go back to fear just real quick. I mean, that when you said that, that uh, brought to mind a scripture to me where it says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So definitely, um, definitely reminded me of that. And then of course, uh, with God, there's several scriptures that talk about with God, all things are possible. Nothing's impossible to him that believes. So, and you know, fear is almost, you know, I don't want to say to make anyone feel bad because we all have fear, but it's almost a lack of trust in the Lord, yep. you know, in, in his ability to handle it, whether you fail or not, he can handle with whatever the outcome may be. He can make you successful or if it's not right for you uh, and you do slip, then he can pick you up and make sure you learn something from it, you know. But as far as like mindset goes, I was thinking today, why is it is it is it just our human humanity? Is it um, our fallen nature that we tend to naturally gravitate? And I guess fear would be a negative, but we tend to naturally gravitate toward the negative. I don't personally wake up happy and, and um, full of hope and just bursting with joy and energy. <laughs> like I have, I mean, I don't wake up sad and gloomy, but I do have to. I do have to make an effort to be positive, even if it's just, you know, I have to put on positivity. I have to be positive on purpose or my natural mind just veers into negativity every single time. And I have to steer it back. So by, you know, in the morning or whenever, uh, you know, finally realize how you didn't pray today, saying that little prayer, you know, God, you know, remove that negativity from me. Uh, fear is a bad thing from with me. Remove the fear and then also anxiety. Remove the anxiety and let me feel and know and be and let those things that I know are already in me, the peace and joy and love that you give me, let let me see them evident. Let push you, get these other things out of my way and let these other things come to the surface and be at the forefront of the way I act around people, the way I interact with people you know, and the way I think and feel so that I can be motivated to do my podcast and to do the dishes and, and what the things that need to be do or, do, you know, achieve my dreams so that I, you know, because I otherwise, like I tend to, it, when we get older too, I remember pagers too. When my daughter was at the hospital in Herman, I had a pager. So <laughs> for waiting for that liver to come in, they give you a pager, a beeper. Uh, but yeah. But like today, for example, and the other day, okay. I, 
close. I am not going to reveal my age, but I'm in my late forties <laughs> and that's nearly half your life is what it is. And a lot, I've noticed myself a lot lately um, as I'm pushing 50, say, making remarks to my husband and things like this, like half my life's gone. I haven't done squat. Half my life's went by and everything I tried to do. Well, I, you know, did obviously didn't work out because I'm not doing it today, you know? And I'm like, why do I remember just the failures? I mean, I accomplished a lot of things too. And so, but it's like our, it's like our nature to think totally negative, but today we were out running errands and we passed by Texas Wesleyan university. And I, I, just, I said, Oh, look, there's Texas Wesleyan. I said, remember I uh, presented my paper there. Um, uh, another day, another dollar, <laughs> African-American women and new deal work programs. <laughs> I remember I was in grad school and I was in an honor society, a historical honor society Alpha Theta, and I presented my my research there. And I'm like, well, that sounds weird even coming out of my mouth <laughs> because, you know, I mean, this is that was before like some things that I went through in my life that weren't so great. Right. And um, and, you know, that ended that chapter in my life. And so now I'm on to new things. But, you know, it's, that's just another thing that I, I had I had accomplished something. I am smart. I am smart enough to do that. You know, but why do you, why do we have to, what do you think about that, Terry? Why do we naturally tend to, to gravitate toward the negative and, and um, why is it important to make an effort to put on that positive mindset? I, I think it's a defense mechanism. I think it's a defense mechanism that has sort of been uh, wired into us over since man was on the face of this earth. We like comfort. Our brains are hardwired to avoid pain and discomfort, and to seek pleasure. So to the brain, the status quo, the way things are right now, hey, it's comfortable, it's familiar, and it should be left alone. The problem with that is the only way we're going to grow, the only way we're going to develop, the only way we're going to get better is if we step outside those comfort zones and do things that make us uncomfortable. That, that that's That's absolutely... The issue, and so many people quit. So many people give up. So many people feel overwhelmed. Oh, I just can't. You know, there's so many things. I mean, even it's like, you know, I'm going to go to the gym, and and so if you want to go to the gym, but you just can't seem to do it, well, lay out your clothes the night before. Pack a bag with a towel and water, and put it by the door with your keys and your wallet. Do things that set you up for success if that's something you really want to do. But so many people, and, and, and you've probably seen this, I think so many people start down the road toward a goal, something they want to do, a dream, start a business, go to school like you did and things like that. And then something gets in their way, an impediment gets in their way, and they can't get over it. They can't get around it. They can't get through it. So they quit. But we don't just quit. Now we got to blame somebody. We got to blame our parents or we got to blame our station in life or we've got to blame our boss. Very few people take personal responsibility for their own success and happiness. And they do that because it's just easier to hit the snooze button. I I was reading an article the other day that said 33% of American adults hit the snooze button at least three times every morning. So yeah, great. It would be great to, to land underneath the covers and it's nice and warm and toasty and it's great. But you know in your head, I need to go to the gym. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to hit the snooze button. Then I'm going to hit it again. And then I'm going to hit it again. What does that get you? Nothing. Doing the hard things, doing the difficult things, callousing your mind. And I do this every day and I'll recommend this to you. And it's it's really simple. But most of the people listening to us won't do it. Do one thing every day that scares you, that makes you nervous, that is uncomfortable, that is potentially embarrassing. It doesn't have to be a big thing. But if you do those small things every day, when the big disasters in life hit us, and they hit all of us, we lose somebody who's close to us, we get let go from our job, we find out we have a chronic or a terminal illness, you'll be so much more resilient to handle that pain than the people who just kind of hit, keep hitting the snooze button and never get out of bed. 
Right. That's grit, Terry. That's why yeah. that's the name of my show. Grit and grace, the grit. And, and I'm, I want to, I was going to talk about that a little bit. Cause I, and when we get into your four truths, if we, if we do get into that, cause I like, that was good. Cause that was good. I saw, I saw grit and grace in that, but the grit comes from the struggles and we need the grit, you know, that, that mental muscle, you know, to trudge through, because I mean, we got, we're in a war down here. <laughs> Sometimes life is just a war. But, you know, it, it could be the journey can be enjoyable and it can be prosperous. I mean, but God does want us to do the hard work. You know, I mean, we have to work till he comes. It's not what he didn't. I don't think he put us here to be comfortable. He put us here to serve a purpose. And um, yeah, that that's something that's changed in me lately. So getting out of your comfort zone. I mean, I've been able to push past my push past my fears before and get up in front of people and present my paper or something like that. But doing what you and I are doing right now, this episode that we're recording right now, this is not me. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I am meeting people I don't know online from all over the world. And I'm like, hey, how are you? My name's Tonya. I'm the host of Grit and Grace podcast. You sound interesting. You sound like you have an interesting story. Let's meet. Let's uh, let's talk and get to know one another. And you come on my show, and I'm letting you into my home. <laughs> yeah, and and but I'm meeting all these wonderful people, and it, you know, it I could make a fool out of myself. I sometimes I stutter and say a oh, lot, <laughs> and you know, or maybe uh, uh, maybe I just flop. But it's you know that's fine. I'm just gonna keep pushing through it, and because there's something about getting out of my comfort zone that I'm noticing you know, doors are starting to open. Things are starting to happen for me because, I mean, they things don't just happen for you, right? They're happening because I am willing to open myself up to that. So that's absolutely yeah, but, right. And I think that's an incredibly important point that, that you make that you have to, you have to take a chance. And, and for some reason, especially younger people today, somehow think that success is, is you know they look at a at a football player or a musician or even you know a doctor you and I have been in and out of with, with hospitals and things you know a doctor a lawyer and so and think okay that person's successful they've never failed in their life nothing bad has ever happened to them and the road to success is paved with failure I, I remember a quote from Nelson Mandela who was the former president of South Africa who said I never lose. I either learn or I win. And if you take that approach to things, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the first time I started a pod, you know, I, I was on a podcast. Like I said, it was terrible. I was absolutely terrible. And I told my publisher one day, we were discussing it. And I said, you know, I listen to every podcast I've ever been on. I said, because I want to be better. I want to have better stories. I want to, like you said, how many times did I say, um, or huh, or whatever. So I want to, I want to be better. And he said, no, not Terry. It's, it's not about being better. It's just about not sucking. And I said, well, thanks for the title of my next book. You know, just don't suck. But, but when I said, no, that's not what it's about. Because I want you as a host to think that the half hour, the hour, whatever we spend together was valuable, not just to you, but more specifically to your audience. Did they get something positive out of this? And if, if the answer was yes, then this was time well spent. So I want to be good at what I do. I just don't want to, you know, I just want to be mediocre. I just want to be average. No, I want to be as good as I can. So you feel this is time well spent. That is so good. That is so tell me about um, your four truths. Is that from your book um, that you mentioned? Or is this something that you came with, came up with outside of that? When did this come to you? And then, yeah, of course, I tell us what they are. Yeah, the, the four truths are really, I think, sort of a culmination of my life, but really kind of, I think, came to fruition during my cancer experience, during the last 11 and a half years that I've been been dealing with cancer. And I, I'll, I'll give them to you. They're, I have them on a post-it note here in my office. So I see them multiple times during the day, and they, and they constantly get reinforced in my brain. So the first one is this, control your mind, or your mind is going to control you. The second one is, embrace the pain and the difficulty that we all experience in life and use that pain and difficulty to make you a stronger, 
and more resilient individual. And I think we we sort of just touched on that one a minute ago. Yeah, that was the one. That was the one. Yeah. Yeah. The third one I look at kind of as a kind of as a, a legacy type of truth, and it's this: what you leave behind is what you weave in the hearts of other people. And then the fourth one is, I think, relatively self-explanatory. As long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. And I refer to those four truths sort of as the the bedrock of my soul. I think they're just a good place to start to try to build a quality life off of. For sure, for sure. Say a little more about that third one, about um, what you leave behind is what you weave into the lives of other people. Sure. So the... This was one that I kind of had. I sort of had these three truths, and I, I I found this one. I thought about it, or I read about it. So I don't I don't remember how it came to me, but it, it absolutely came to me. And and I'm like, okay, I've got to I've got to incorporate this. You know, we, we are we are creatures of three. We like things in you know in, in three you know A B C things like that. And I'm like, no, I'm going to go four. I'm going to go four because I think it's important. So I guess this is important. You're you're old enough to remember. Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Well, you know, I grew up, you know, listening to Fred Rogers. And Fred Rogers educated so many kids around the United States, including myself on his public television show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Well, after Fred Rogers died in 2003, his family was going through his personal effects and they found his wallet. And inside his wallet was a a scrap piece of paper on which, on which Mr. Rogers has written four simple words. Life is for service. And, and I absolutely love that. I, I mean, we are, we are here to serve. And I, and I think so many people feel that we are born empty and that once we get out of school and sort of get into life, whatever that looks like for you, that your job is then to fill yourself up. You know, I've got to get a good education. I've got to get a good job. I've got to have a good marriage. I've got to drive a nice car, live in a nice... And, and, and we fill ourselves up and we somehow think that that's going to make us happy, that that's going to make us fulfilled. And Tanya, what I've come to understand is it's just the opposite. We're not born empty. We're born full. We're born with everything we need to be successful in life already inside us. We just need to find what that is, pull it out, and use it to our benefit. So it's not about what you get. It should be about what you get. It should be about your life basically emptying yourself out, certainly for the betterment of yourself, but also for the betterment of your family, of your community, of your country, et cetera. And I think if people looked at it that way, they'd be a whole lot happier They'd be a whole lot more connected to something that's bigger than you and I, and they wouldn't be nearly as anxious, mentally ill, and, and all the other things that are going on. Oh, that's so good. I just love everything. I love everything that you said. Yeah, that's so good. I feel that we are here to serve. I totally agree with that. We're not here to take, receive, get, or like you say, we do tend to think that we're born empty and that that ideal is really perpetuated by um, well, the media advertising, and even sometimes in church, I don't know if you've ever heard in church, like you got, you better come Sunday or come midweek and get filled up. Y'all got to get your tanks filled up. Well, on the spiritual side for one, yes, we're born with everything we need. God created us in his image. Okay. So he's not lacking. So we're not lacking. That's one that that's on the natural side of things in our bodies, in our minds, but on the spiritual side of things, if we do have the mind of Christ, if we do have his spirit, if we do have him living inside of us, then we absolutely already have fullness of peace and joy and contentment and hope and intelligence. I mean, discernment, all those things that we need um, to accomplish whatever he created us to accomplish, to serve in whatever capacity that we need to serve. He has equipped us already to do that. I think it's um, sometimes too, as far as like uh, the societal things and oops, um, and material things, 
I think a lot of that too is a lie from the enemy uh, that he feeds into our heads because um, he he wants us to to think that there's an emptiness we need to fill with the with the marriage, the two kids, the boy, the girl, the picket fence, the dog, the cat, the job, the boat, the vacation once a year, yada yada yada. But what happens when sickness strikes? What happens when someone dies? What happens you know when you lose a job and or like you ended up you end up though like. It's it's a constant having to. You never get full, right? You're never you're there's never always satisfied. something else. Yeah, yeah. There's always something else. I mean, if I got the boat now, I want a plane, or I want yeah. a sea doo, or I want some, you know, I want a jet, you know, like, um, or I've got you know this job. I want a better job. I want to be the CEO now. But um, so then what though? After that, you know, uh, though only only Christ can fulfill, and only your purpose, only living in your purpose can really fulfill you. And those relationships, those relationships that we have, the things that we put into other people's lives, the things that people put into our lives, those are the things that, that will fulfill us here. Those are the things that we could take with us. Those are the things that have meaning. Otherwise, you'll end up doing things like that's why drug addicts, you know, people end up being doing drugs sometimes is because they're trying to fill some fill some sort of void and, and, and drugs and alcohol do not do that. All it does is create more craving, you know, so. Yeah, I, I, did a, I did a podcast with a, a couple of cadets at the Air Force Academy. And I remember one of them asked me the question, it's like, are there services out there to help people with drug and alcohol addiction? And I, I said, absolutely. There, there, are, there are all kinds of things out there to help them. But what I told them was, is those things usually are not successful at helping the person until the person gets to rock bottom. And I said, and right. there's a very fine line between between being at rock bottom and being dead and that's oh, for, oh that's good you know and i i said so yes there are things out there but i've, I've seen it you know in the drug unit where you the judge you know do you want treatment sure i'll take treatment you want treatment because you don't want to go to jail you're not interested in treatment you're not interested in, in getting there to that point so like i told him you know you've got to hit rock bottom before yes i've got to have treatment then it might be successful. Exactly. I talked to someone today. They were asking me about a certain rehab um, that um, they were trying to get into and uh, asking my opinion on it. And, you know, I said, well, I've always heard I've always heard good things about that one. I've never been there myself, so I can't attest to it personally, but I, I have heard good things about it. I said, what? But what it really comes down to is really it's going to when it comes down to the net cut. And if you don't mind me saying it like that, it's going to be you and God, because um uh, it don't, it really doesn't matter where you go. I said, well, really, it's going to be three things. The big one is you and God. The yeah. second big one is completely cutting out the people. And then the third big one, real, real big one, is replacing them with other people. Don't cut out the people and not go get new good people. You have to get some new good people and not just a sponsor. Go get it. I mean, just do, where you live, are there plenty of meeting opportunities that have people in it where you can get all their phone numbers, get them and call them. You know addicts don't like to call people. You know what I mean? They like to have half ass the steps and everything till they get a certain point. They don't want to do whatever it takes. And, uh, but that, that you have to get to that point. You have to get to that point where you're willing to do whatever it takes, where you're at your wits end. But like you say that the scary thing is the scary thing is, and I never really thought about it like that, Terry. So you said that, that there is such a fine line between rock bottom and well, underneath the earth. Like six feet under. There's a fine line between rock bottom and six feet under. There's another name for a book. There you go. <laughs> it's really sad. But um, but so there was something else though that you had um when I was when I was on your website again, um, it was underneath your four truths. It had to do with I think character, courage. Um, what is that part of the four truths? They're not, they're just you know the Character, courage, and humility are basically the tenets that I live by. I, I yeah. want to be a person of good character. I want to be a, a humble individual. And, and and those are, you know, that's not something like I just wake up this morning and I, I've got good character. I, I remember hearing a, a story one time um, about an individual who was interviewing with a, the vice president of marketing for a company. And the vice president spent 90 minutes, hour and a half with this, this individual. And all they talked about was basically the first 20 years of the applicant's life. 
It's like, you know, what was it like growing up in your family? What was school like? Were you, did you play sports? Did you have any injury? What was college like? And, and after the interview, the, the applicant said, I, I, I got I to ask you, I, I said, this, this seems like an interesting line of questioning. Why? You, you didn't spend, you didn't ask me one question about marketing or the team I'd be working with or how I would fit in or something like that. He said, I know that. He said, and here's, here's why. He said, because I got plenty of people around me that'll tell me whether you're good at marketing or whether you would be a good fit for our team. What I want to do is hire people of good character. And he said, I believe character is developed in the first 20 years of your life. So that's why I asked you, what was it like in your family? What did you learn from your parents? What, what did you learn in school? What did you learn from sports? Things like that. And he said, because I believe character is caught. It's not taught. So you're not going to read a book and say, okay, I, I read this book. Now I'm a person of good character. No, you're going to watch people and you're going to say, why? I, I, I didn't like the way that guy handled that situation. Or you know what? I really like the way that woman handled that, that specific situation. So I think character is an incredibly important part in all of us. I also think humility is important. And, and I, I go on these podcasts, I talk to people, and I always say, I don't have all the answers. You know, I don't, I don't, I'm not the authority on mindset or motivation or anything like that. I've got some things that I've been through that have worked that I feel it's important for me to put out into the world that might help other people. So yeah, so so sort of my tenants uh, are, are things that I try to aspire to. Fail miserably a lot of times, but things that I try to aspire to. Well, I was kind of thinking when I was looking at it that that's kind of the grace side, the um, the truths as far as especially the one about gleaning as much as you can out of things you go through so that you can be resilient. I think a grit there, you yeah. know, um, I've really developed a lot of grit, uh, you know, with all the things I went through, especially with my daughter. You know, uh, we were talking about that before. And I know you have, too, with your experiences and um, so we need that. We need that grit. But then you like, I like how you said characters cut because grace is the same way. You don't earn grace and you don't learn grace. It's given as a free gift. And so it's by God's grace. You know, I think a person that walks in humility and and has these uh, integrity and as a person of character, even after everything that you've been through, um, but those letting those um, uh, positive um, characteristics um, shine through you and and be you know at the forefront of how you live your life. That's walking in grace to me. So that that's how the grace is the thing that's given by God, and and it's it's what helps you to be able to act in a way that's humble, kind, gentle, you know, and a person of integrity. And then the getting to that rough stuff is where you develop your grit. So (laughs) you're absolutely right. And and when I was first diagnosed with cancer, I was, I I was told this was a death sentence. And I said, you know what, let me turn this into a life sentence. And I, I, I they put me on a, a drug called interferon. And I know that drug. Yeah. It's a horrible drug, horrible, nasty, debilitating drug. It gave me severe flu-like symptoms for two to three days every week after each injection. And I took those weekly injections for almost five years. So imagine having the flu every week for five years. And there was a point in time where I was so sick of being sick that I literally prayed to die. It's like, come on, God, you know, there's living and there's not dying. And I'm in the not dying category. I'm not living. I'm not contributing. I'm not doing anything. Get me out of here. Just just take me here. But he didn't. But what he did do was give me the courage, the fortitude, you know, the fight, the grit, as you say, to continue to go on. And I remember when I had my leg amputated during the middle of the COVID pandemic, about eight months later, my doctor showed me my CAT scan. And I don't know how to read it. I, I didn't go to medical school. I don't know how to read a CAT scan, but you can kind of look at it and be like, well, that sure doesn't look like it belongs there, you know? And, <laughs> and I had these big tumors in my lungs. I had, I had fluid all around the pleural spaces of my lungs. And I remember looking at my doctor and I said to him, how was I alive? And he kind of, I, I'll never forget. I still have this vision of him. He put his head down and he kind of shook his head. No. And he said, I don't know because you shouldn't have been. 
And that said to me, God's not done with me yet. You know, when I die, where I die, how I die, way above my pay grade. Don't spend a lot of time worrying about that. And I remember I heard a Native American Blackfoot proverb years ago that I absolutely love. And it goes like this. When you were born, you cried and the world rejoiced. Live your life in such a way. And I think those are the key words. Live your life in such a way so that when you die, the world cries and you rejoice. That's what I Oh, that's so good. I love that. That's so good. Wow. I've really had a great time talking to you. I could keep on talking. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I guess before we before we do close, um, well, I okay, I do want to give you opportunity here in a minute to to say anything that I let might let, bring up anything that I might left out. But as far as as far as your illness, Terry, I mean, if you don't mind me asking, is there are you doing all right right now, or is there something? Can we pray? Do you need us? You know, would you like us to you know pray for you? Yes, I I, I still have those tumors in my lungs. I'm treated every three weeks at the hospital. Uh, for those tumors. Uh, I'm there for the entire week. Then I get two weeks off and then I do it again. And I've been doing that for two and a half years. I'm on a trial drug that is not available to the general public yet. And again, you know, I, I look at this and I'm like, okay, a bunch of people started this trial drug with me. I'm the only one left. Everybody else has died. And so I, wow. I you know, I sometimes I like, well, oh, God, what do you want? Well, I, I mean, it's like, really, I, I mean, am I doing what you want me to do? And I ask that question every morning when I get out of bed. I, I'm like, you know, Jesus, you take care of everything today, but make sure you tell me or put me where you want me to be today. Not to, I don't worry about tomorrow. If you ask me what my goals are, you know, for next month or next year or five years, I don't have any. I, I, I really don't. It's like, all right, God, what do you want me to do today? I'll do it today. We'll figure out what we're supposed to do tomorrow. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. You, I mean, I've, I've, I'm just, you know, I'm happy for you for that, you know, that, you know, you have that with the Lord, despite what you're going through. And I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to definitely be praying for you, Terry. And I know my listeners will too. Uh, yeah, you're welcome. I've just had a wonderful, I think, I think the Lord's using you already. And, um, and I guess that's why you're, that's why you're still here. <laughs> Uh, because you, I mean, for one, you do offer yourself to him to be used by him. So, you know, that's, that's just wonderful. That's what we're here for. We're here for. You talked about uh, just real, real quick. Um, and I, I didn't mention this, but earlier you were talking about, you know, we're here to serve and to pour our life out. And it reminded me of a scripture when Paul, I think that he was in jail and it was, he was coming to the end and he said, my life has been poured out yeah. like a drink offering. You know, yeah. I mean, he, he, but he gave everything he had to this gospel and to get in this, getting that all those, the whole, nearly the whole new Testament out to us. <laughs> but yeah, he, he, um, he said, I, I've given it to the last drop. I've, and I, that's what we want to be able to say at the end. Like you say, um, so that we can rejoice, we're going to rejoice for one, because we know what our destiny is on the other side, but that we know we gave it all exactly. that we could. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's wonderful. Was there anything else, Terry? I do want to, Oh, I do want to make sure that the listeners know where they can find you. Um, and if you if you want, please let let, let them know um, your website, what that is, and how to get a hold of you, um, uh, your Facebook and everything. Now, for those listening, I will make sure y'all know my Facebook page is where I um, keep most of the updates. I'm on that more than anything. My kids say it's because I'm old and Facebook's for old people. (laughs) So I do have the Instagram and the Twitter or the X now it's called X, but I do have those other things. I'm, I'm trying to make a point to get on them more frequently, but y'all know, always watch the Facebook page. It's the grit. And if you're new listening, my page is the, um, just go to Facebook and search pages. It's called grit and grace podcast. and um yeah and it's just got my little logo on it for the profile pay, uh picture but get on there and i'll i'll make um i'll make sure that you guys um have um terry's links and everything up there if you miss it but go ahead terry let them know how they can find you on the, on your site and on social media sure I, I have a blog it's called motivational check uh i put up a thought for the day every day you can actually access all my social media links that's probably the easiest Thing to do on that as well. I have recommendations for books to read, videos to watch, and things like that. That's all at motivationalcheck.com. 
let me let me leave you with one final story, if if you don't mind. No, um, sure, please. I had a I had a nurse recently who takes care of me. Asked me what it was like to have my foot amputated in 2018, and then to have my leg amputated in 2020. And I told her it certainly hasn't been easy. As I mentioned, I'm six foot eight inches tall, so learning to walk again when you're six foot eight, falling is not an option. It's not something you do. You get hurt from this height. But what I told her was. Cancer can take all my physical faculties, but cancer can't touch my mind. It can't touch my heart and it can't touch my soul. And that's who I am. That's who you are, Tanya. That's who everybody who's listening to us. And we spend a lot of time, you know, working on this vessel, this body of ours. We we go to the gym, we eat right, we reduce stress. We got to get enough rest. And, and I'm not telling you not to do that. I think you absolutely should do that. But what I am suggesting is maybe every day, Spend a little time working on who you are, your heart, your mind, and your soul. We know we're going to die. We know this body is going to go away and decay. But our heart, our minds, and our souls, those things are eternal. Those things will live on. And I don't think we spend nearly as much time working on those as we should. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't normally, uh, I sometimes, well, I sometimes pray at the beginning of the broadcast. So I guess praying at the end is no different. But if you don't mind, Terry, I'll go ahead and just say a prayer before we get off. I would love that. That would be great. Okay. Uh, dear God, I thank you for the opportunity to just come on and, and, and for one, to meet Terry and to hear his story and to share it with those listening. I pray for the listeners, as I do always, that, that this episode finds them well and in good health and that you open doors for them and that you see to all their needs, Lord God. And then I just pray for Terry and for him and his wife, um, for their family, Lord, that you'd bless them. But for Terry, I pray that you just continue to use him in a mighty way, God, um, as he's made himself available for you and for the service of your kingdom. Just continue to use him and then bless him for that, you know, for um, for the way he has given himself to the cause, Lord, just bless him in a mighty way. Bless him in the way that you see fit, Lord, and um, have your way and your will in his body. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much for that. Oh, you're welcome. And thank you so much for coming on, for sharing your story. It's been fun and I've really enjoyed it. Me too. It was great meeting you. And, and you've you've got some great life experience that I know you're you're putting out there and helping a lot of people. So keep doing that. Awesome. All right. Well, I'm going to close out, Terry. Just hang on a minute. Um, to all those listening, I'm going to go ahead and close out. Thank you so much for um, listening again to another episode, for continuing to support me as I learn and grow. And as I'm trying to serve the Lord in this way, I just, I just so much appreciate every time you listen to an episode. And of course, every time you share it with a friend, but thank you so much until next time. This is the great grace podcast. This is Tonya. May you be blessed in Jesus name. Bye-bye. <laughs>